If you would turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. Starting at verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent uh, to Sarah and said, Quick, three selahs of, of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then, the, then he took curds and milk and, and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them and set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has, that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men returned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham um, still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place. For their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy if I find forty five there. 
Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it, but I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. I remember when we were living in New Mexico, I went to court one day to encourage a young man from the church that I was pastoring at um, because he had gotten in trouble with the law. And this really was the first time that I had ever sat in in a courtroom, and I found it pretty interesting. Normally, pastors don't get called for jury duty because I think they figure pastors are too opinionated or something. I don't know what it is, but usually I never get I never get picked. But uh, the courtroom seemed noisy to me as I, I sat there, and, and lots of people were, were talking before the trial began. But all that changed when the judge came into the courtroom. Well, it helped that the, the bailiff said, I'll rise, and so everyone rose, and everyone was quiet as they saw the judge approach her, uh, um, her chair. And it was interesting throughout the, the, the trial that even if a judge, I mean, even if a lawyer was speaking, as soon as the judge started to speak, the lawyer would stop talking. And uh, you could tell that people respected the, the judge. And uh, they were very, uh, in, in some ways, almost a little afraid of him, it, it, it seemed like. The whole time, though, I was in the uh, courtroom, um, I never saw anybody, even during the break, I never saw anyone go into the judge's uh, chambers that were his private chambers. Um, no one would dare, unless obviously they, they were invited. But after the trial was over, I remember walking down the hallway of the, the courthouse, and, and the door um, next to the courtroom was, was open, and there was the judge um, sitting with uh, the bailiff, and, and they were laughing away at some joke, and you can tell that the two of them felt very comfortable around each other. Uh, the formality that you saw in the courtroom, the, the respect, the quietness, it, it, it seemed to be gone as the two of them were just bantering back and forth, and um, it, it was clear that they were friends. It was clear that this bailiff had been invited into the judge's chambers. I think it's, uh, it, it's clear that... Um, while that the judge's chamber is, is his private domain, um, but yet when he invites someone to come there, uh, things change, and, and the mood seems to change. I think this is similar to what we see going on in our, our story this morning. You might say Abraham entered into the private chambers of God Almighty, the judge of all the earth. And in that chamber, the formality was gone, and, and Abraham spoke to God as, as a friend. You could say they had a heart-to-heart talk. In our passage, the Lord and two of his angels, they, they appeared to Abraham and Sarah. And you have to wonder, why in the world did God actually come down to the earth to meet with Abraham and Sarah? 
I mean, did he have to actually come down to be able to see, to know what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? Clearly, no. Our our God knows everything. Verse 21 says that that he came to to see if what people in in Sodom had done was as bad as the outcry that had reached God. But did God really need to go down to see that? And on top of it, the huge meal that Abraham and Sarah prepared, does God need to eat? Clearly no. Do the angels need to eat? No. But yet, God and two of His angels, they were willing to wait under the tree while Abraham and Sarah prepared all that food. Seven seals of of flour. That's a lot of bread. And then to have someone quick butcher the calf and then to cook it, I mean, it's not like, you know, friends came over and, well, let me heat up some uh, sloppy joe for you in the microwave a minute, you know, as you're going on your way. It wasn't like that. They sat there for a while waiting for this meal to be prepared. And again, you, you have to ask yourself, why was God willing to wait? Especially when He, need, he didn't need, even need to do this. He didn't need, need to come down to the earth to begin with. And I think it says something to us about God's relationship with Abraham and Sarah. Clearly, Abraham was the friend of God. The Bible tells us that. Abraham was a friend of God. And God wants to be known by, by Abraham. He wants Abraham to be in fellowship with him. And the only way that can happen is to spend time with each other. And God uses this moment as a teaching time for, for uh, Abraham. He wanted to show him something about his justice. Because that's really what, what Abraham was struggling with. Not that God would judge. He wasn't arguing that, but Abraham was struggling with how God judges on, on the earth. And throughout all of this, we see God's incredible love and patience for, for Abraham. And even with Sarah, when, when she's behind the curtain and, and she hears what God says, that she's going to have a child, and she doubts. We saw the last time that we, we, we talked about Abraham and Sarah. That wasn't Abraham's response. Abraham received it in faith, but Sarah, she's struggling obviously because she knows how old she is. And yet we don't see God getting angry with her, even when she lies and denies that, that she had thought that. The question Abraham asked God, I think we've all asked him at one time in our lives, is the judge of the world just? I think this is a question that Job struggled with after God allowed Satan to take away all that he had, including his family. Is God just? God just in all that He does? Is He just in the judgment that He he brings down in response to sin? Is He just when the Bible tells us that that Christ as your Savior, that that if you don't receive Christ as your Savior, you're going to spend eternity in in hell? Is He just in, in, in deciding that? When he made Israel wander in the desert for 40 years, was he just in doing this? 
when he allowed Jerusalem to be destroyed, was he just in doing that? Or they're going into captivity? I think this is the question that Abraham is asking himself. Is God just in his plans to completely annihilate Sodom and Gomorrah with everyone in it? See, Abraham's not so sure. As Abraham talks to God, he's, again, not questioning God's right to do this, but rather how God goes about doing it. He doesn't want the righteous to suffer along with the wicked. In verse 23, he says, Surely the judge of all the world must do what's right. Six times, Abraham pleads with, with God that, that he might not destroy the, the righteous with the unrighteous, with the wicked. And starts at 50 and works all the way down to 10. And each time, God assured Abraham that he would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. You know, we like to talk about the mercy of God. We like to talk about His grace, about His love. Who of us would be here if it wasn't for God's mercy and grace because of our sins? We love singing that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We love that. Because that's our salvation we're talking about, the grace that has been shown to us. But judgment, that's another story. James Boyce, he writes, Nothing is so offensive to the ungenerated mind as a message of coming judgment for sin. In the United States, I think that's why people react so strongly to Christianity and to the gospel message. Because they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that there's an ultimate truth. They don't want to hear that they have to live their lives by a certain standard. They have to live their lives in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. They don't want to hear about commandments and and laws. They don't want to hear about what they can and can't do. They want freedom. That comes from sin. It's easy sometimes to forget just how much our God hates sin. You know, since we're confronted by it every day and a little bit here, a little bit there. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. You turn on the TV and it's so easy after a while to become numb to sin, to the face of, of evil. And after a while, you, you, just, you don't notice it like you did before. After a while, we start to tolerate the things that we shouldn't tolerate. I mean, while we know God hates the big sins, the sins that are, are spelled out in the Ten Commandments, the little sins, we often, oh, that's not such a big deal. But it is a big deal. That's why God sent His one and only Son to the world to die on the cross, to take away those sins, the big ones, the little ones, all our sins, and to show us His mercy and grace. I think it's also easy to become numb to the cries of the oppressed around us. The cries of those experiencing the sin of injustice in our world. But while we often fail to hear their cry, our God doesn't. Our God hears each and every one. Our passage tells us in verse 20 that the outcry of the oppressed in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah had gone up and God had heard it. 
to the sins that were being committed, to those who were being oppressed, to those who were being hurt and harmed. Listen to the angel's own words in the the next chapter, chapter 19, verse 13. The outcry to the Lord against the people is so great that He has sent us to destroy it. You know, sometimes we think God doesn't hear our cry. He doesn't hear the cry of the those who are being oppressed in the world around us, but He does. And He doesn't turn a blind eye to it. Psalm 34, verse 17, it reminds us that the righteous cry is heard by God. He hears our cry to Him. Just because He doesn't act in the way we want Him to doesn't mean He's ignoring our cry. And whether He takes care of and brings justice here on earth or afterwards on Judgment Day, God will bring justice. You can be assured of that. And so we just need to trust in the Lord and put it in His hands. A while back I was listening to public radio and it was some, somebody talking about the civil rights workers that, that um, encouraged um, black people to vote um, back in the 60s. And because these folks were, were encouraging the blacks to vote, people around them, they, they, they weren't kind to them. The Ku Klux Klan, they killed many of them just because they were encouraging those people to take the right that was, was theirs. The police, they, they would often beat these workers. They imprisoned them. And, and, and sadly, even some of the most outstanding citizens, some who were even Christians in, in, in God's name, committed some of the most horrible sins against their brothers and sisters. And as I listened to this person speak about the things that had been done once upon a time, it, it, it made me cringe. And as I listened, I found myself wondering how it was possible that people could do this in Christ's name. And while we may have forgotten, and while you may not hear people talk about this much anymore, God hasn't forgotten. Because God hears our cries. And He's going to bring justice. And one day, we're going to see God's fierce anger, His judgment let loose. Just as we glimpse it happening to Sodom and Gomorrah. And what a horrible day that's going to be as God separates the, the wheat from the tares. He separates them and... and those that are not His, they're facing an eternity without Christ. There's a saying you hear sometimes, what goes around comes around. You know, it really is true. Either in this life or on Judgment Day. But judgment will come. And God will bring justice to the world. But despite the glimpse of of final judgment we're we're being shown in this passage, it really is just like a a mini glimpse of what we're going to see partially at the end. Yet I find this passage is also encouraging. 
And I hope you will be encouraged by it. And the first thing that I think encourages us has to do with the gift of prayer. Has to do with the gift of prayer. There's one in our, our story that stands in the, in the gap and intercedes on behalf of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, he's not just cons- concerned about his nephew Lot and his wife and family, but he's com- concerned about both cities. He, want, he wants God to assure him that he's not going to allow the, the righteous to be punished with the unrighteous. Well, God doesn't always share with us why He does what He does. Yet the, the, the Bible also clearly teaches that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. What gives our prayers that power? God gives our prayers that power. And so we're called to faithfully be in prayer for those around us. To lift up our brothers and sisters before the Lord. To be intercessors for those in the world around us, but also for our brothers and sisters in Christ right here. To faithfully lift one another up before the Lord. Because the Bible says that God has chosen often to unleash His power as His people pray. What a privilege we've been given. Think about it. That you have access to the very throne room of God with your prayers. And He's listening to each and every one of your prayers. Answering them according in accordance with His will. And when our prayers are according to God's will, we have what we ask for. But we still have to ask. And because Abraham was willing to be that intercessor, Lot and his family were saved. Another thing that encourages us in this passage, while God's holiness and justice demands that our sin be punished, yet God's mercy and grace provides a way for us to be saved. It would be easy to conclude that you know, God's a God of wrath and Abraham, he's merciful and kind and he wants to save the people while God wants to punish the people. And to conclude that would be wrong because that's not God's heart at all. God and His righteousness and justice, it demands, it demands that our sin be punished. Plain and simple. But because God is loving and gracious and kind and good, He offers us His Son, Jesus, to take away our our sins. I think you could say that God delighted to save Lot. And He chose to use Abraham's intercession as a means of releasing His mercy and grace. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Whose idea was salvation? It wasn't Adam and Eve's, it was God's. And immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, God put that plan of salvation into place that we find its fulfillment in, in, in Jesus Christ. As a result, John fifteen fifteen tells us that through Jesus we have become friends with God who know our Master's business. Just as Abraham was invited to know God's. This kind of relationship that we see Abraham having with God, this is the kind of relationship we have through Jesus. With Jesus. Through the working of the Holy Spirit. You might say that that Abraham's intercession 
that day for Sodom and Gomorrah. In many ways, he was acting as a priest before the Lord. And I think he was really a foreshadowing of what Christ would one day do in being our Messiah and Savior. But not only did Jesus' intercession and sacrifice bring us eternal life, but the Bible tells us that He continues to intercede for us on the right-hand side of God. And because of this, Hebrews 4.16 tells us that we may now approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is part of the mission that Christ calls each of us to be part of. Christ calls you to be conduits of His mercy and grace in the world around us. To share His love. And to share it with others. Sometimes this intercession is through prayers. Other times I think it's by actually getting involved in somebody's life and being the hands and feet of God. We have been given the privilege to stand in the gap between God and others as we lift up our prayers. Think about that. And through your intercession, others are blessed, even non-Christians. We're ambassadors of God. What an incredible privilege. How that enables us to bring God's blessing to others. Genesis 30, 27 tells us that Laban's flocks were multiplied for Jacob's sake. Genesis 39, 5 tells us that Potiphar prospered. Why? Because of Joseph. That Joseph worked for him. Acts 27, 24 says God saved all who were traveling to Rome with Paul. It's amazing how often in the Bible others are blessed through God's people, through their faithfulness, through their obedience. And God would have spared Judah from captivity, Jeremiah 5 says, if God could have found one person, one righteous person to stand in the gap between Him and His people, but none could be found. Even Sodom and Gomorrah would have been spared through the intercession of Abraham if only ten righteous people had been found. People of God, we are the salt of the earth. Preserving it. Preserving it by allowing God's mercy and grace to flow through us. The day is coming soon when Jesus will come again. The harvest of the earth will begin. God will separate the wheats, the wheat from the tares. This means, though, that today is still the day of salvation. That day of judgment has not come yet. It's coming soon, which means we have work to do. There's people around us who need to hear the good news about Jesus, and we need to speak up. Again, we've called to be salt in the earth around us to bring healing, to bring the preserving love of, of, of God in, into the world. And as you work, remember, 
You don't have to do it alone. But you have access to the very throne room of God. You have access to the very power of God through the working of the Holy Spirit. The challenge is great. There's no doubt. But the good news is our God is greater. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, may we be faithful until we hear that trumpet blast and Christ returns again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your incredible love for us. Father, and just as we saw Abraham as an intercessor for those around him, we we pray we also might be faithful in doing that, both in our our prayers, but also in, in the way we get involved with those around us, the way we love them, encourage them, build them up and and show them Jesus. Father, the, the task is overwhelming. The needs of those around us are great, but thank you that you are greater. Help us not to forget that. That everything we need will come from you. May we be faithful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand as we sing, bring forth the kingdom. We're going to sing the first three verses, and then we'll uh, celebrate.